In episode 466 with the incredible Dan Millman, we are diving deep into purpose and how to live a more spiritual and meaningful life, plus so much more. Welcome to the Melissa Ambrosini Show. I'm your host, Melissa, best-selling author of Mastering Your Mean Girl, Open Wide and Comparisonitis. And I'm here to remind you that love is sexy, healthy is liberating, and wealthy isn't a dirty word. Each week, I'll be getting up close and personal with thought leaders from around the globe, as well as your weekly dose of motivation so that you can create epic change in your own life and become the best version of yourself possible. Are you ready, beautiful? Hey, beautiful, and welcome back to the show. I am so excited about this episode because I love this man. He is such a divine, beautiful soul, overflowing with life-changing spiritual wisdom that you are going to want to implement into your everyday life. And for those of you that have never heard of Dan, he is the author of 18 books. Yes, 18 One of them, a lot of you would have heard of, and it's called The Peaceful Warrior, which was also adapted into a film. Go and read that book and watch that film and thank me later. Now, his latest book, Peaceful Heart, Warrior Spirit, is out right now, which is also an incredible read. Go and grab that. He is also a former world trampoline champion, a gymnast coach, martial arts instructor and college professor. And his 18 books are published in 29 languages and he has taught in 32 countries. This man is incredible. For everything that we mentioned in today's episode, it'll all be in the show notes and that's over at melissaambrosini.com forward slash 466. So go and check that out. Now let's bring on the incredible Dan Millman. Dan, I am so excited to have you on the show. But before we dive in, can you tell us what you had for breakfast this morning? Uh, yes, uh, mixed nuts, raw nuts, uh, fruit, and some little raisins. That's pretty much it. Beautiful. Yum. Sounds delicious. Yes. Now, for those that don't know you or have never heard of you. Can you take us back to young Dan before you met your teacher who in one of your amazing books, The Way of the Peaceful Warrior, you call Socrates. What was young Dan like? And what were some of the life-altering things that he taught you? Well, a couple of things I can say well before I met any of my mentors. I actually did have a role model. I was about seven years old, and there was a boy in the neighborhood named Steve Usaw who I followed around. He was streetwise. He was 10 years old. And we were exploring a house under construction during the weekend. No one was around. So we climbed up to the roof, naturally, and we looked down and saw a big sand pile about maybe uh, six or seven meters below us. And so Steve, of course, leaped off and some of his other friends, but I was afraid. We've all had that sense. There's something I really wanted to do, but I was afraid. So I went to the edge and I came back and I went to the edge and I backed up. And finally, Steve yelled something at me that I never forgot. And it guided my life, even as a young boy. And he said, Danny, stop thinking and jump. 
And I knew I could do that. Somehow I just stopped thinking about it. I went to the edge, bent my knees, leaned forward and pushed. And of course it was glorious because the elation is in direct proportion to the fear one feels. And we did that for the next hour. But I never forgot that idea of just don't think about it too much. There's a saying in the martial arts, if you start thinking too much in combat or in life, you're dead. So there's another saying that we don't want to think without acting or act without thinking. So there's a certain balance. And that sense of balance also carried with me. And later, that joy of of soaring, of flying, I aspired to Superman and Peter Pan, because I think even as a youth, there was something about the idea of ascending, rising above, that, that must have appealed to me. So that carried me through my childhood, the discovery of a trampoline when I was about 10 years old, and I never knew that jumping up and down in a trampoline would lead to well, a world championship, a scholarship to university and gymnastics, coaching career, and all that followed. But I think my acrobatics training was a part of the beginning of my spiritual training, about focusing on the present moment, trusting the process, step by step, inch by inch. So all those things were a part of my youth before, uh, long before I met any of my mentors or discovered this approach to living that I would call the peaceful warrior's way. You say that gymnastics was a way of quietening your mind and practicing being in the moment. I know for me, there's been times in my life where my mind has been very loud, very noisy, and it really has caused inner turmoil for me. How can we quieten our mind so that we can be more in the present moment? Well, there's a number of ways to answer that, but let me just keep it straightforward. One doesn't need to quiet the mind. I mean, the mind is noisiest when we're sitting down to meditate because we, we have no distractions in the outside world. We're not playing video games or playing sports. We're just sitting. It's the definition of boredom. And all we see is the mind and the emotions, this inner world, let's say, with our eyes closed. So there's nothing wrong with the mind noise. It's a natural bubbling off of thought, the random discursive mind. That's what I'm talking about. The idea is what meditation does is it allows us to see the nature, the illusory nature of these thoughts. And we no longer take them as seriously, which is why the Japanese sage Lao Tzu said, as soon as you have a thought, laugh at it, um, because it's just mind stuff. So it's, it's like having old friends that are always chattering at you. Pretty soon, you don't li- take them seriously. They stop bothering you as much. So it's, uh, taming the mind is not about making it quiet or only having positive thoughts. It's about recognizing the nature of mind, and turning our attention to, fine, fine, but what do I need to do right now? Yeah. And when fear comes into that, how do we move past that? I know for a lot of people with what's been going on in the world over the past couple of years, there's so much fear. You know, the mind can run with these thoughts and create such fear and 
it can cause a lot of internal pain and suffering. So how do you overcome that fear or overwhelm or stress? How do we move through those things? A sage once told me, or he advised three guidelines for living wisely and well. First, to accept our thoughts and emotions, including fear, as natural to us in the moment. Sometimes we feel anxious or nervous or fearful or angry or sad. But while we're feeling those emotions and while we're noticing the thoughts as we would in meditation, but in everyday life, the first guideline is accept your thoughts and feelings, positive or negative, as natural to you in the moment. The second guideline was what is your purpose? What is your goal in this moment? What do you want to get done? And then the third guideline is do what needs to be done in line with your purpose. And so it's not a matter of fixing the mind or fixing the emotions so we can finally live well. It's a much more direct warrior's approach, which is just cut through it. What do I need to do? Because we've all taken out the trash or done our work or homework or taken care of kids, whether or not we happen to feel like it. Whether or not we were feeling shy or afraid or confident, we did what we had to do. So we all know what that's like. And that is an approach to living. So as the sage once said as well, he said, when running up a hill, for example, it's okay to quit, to give up as many times as you want, as long as your feet keep moving. So let me say something else about fear, a story that you might enjoy, maybe your listeners will enjoy. I was teaching in Costa Rica, and we were doing a zip line experience. You know, the zip lines where you're on a high platform and you're zooming down this line, and it's a little scary to people. So we were, we had our harnesses on and our helmets on, and a woman and I were walking up the stairs together, this big spiral staircase around a gigantic tree up to the platform. And as we started walking up the stairs, she said, oh, I'm getting so scared. I'm so anxious. And I said, I don't understand. Haven't you ever walked upstairs before? <laughs> and she said, oh, yeah, sure. I've walked upstairs. I said, well, that's all we're doing is just walking up the stairs. And she went, oh, okay. So she wasn't afraid for a while. We walked up the stairs, up to the platform, and then they hooked us up with a cable to a tree at this platform so we wouldn't fall off. And then she saw someone leaping off the platform, and she said, I'm getting scared again. And I went, I don't understand again. I said, the only way we can get hurt standing here is to take off our helmets and bang them against the tree. And she went, well, that's true. Okay. We're just standing here. Well, then soon after she was standing on the edge of the platform, ready to leap off. She was hooked up to the zip line. And I said, now you can be scared. Yeah. <laughs> At least it's appropriate yes. in that moment. So that's why focusing on the present moment, most of the time we're afraid or anxious. We're thinking about what we call the future. The future does not exist. It never arrives. It's only our imagination. And when we talk about the past, that's just memory. It's a set of neural impulses in our brain, but the past is gone. 
Now, someone might say, oh, no, I know the past is real because I have a photograph here of myself last week. That's in the past. But all they're doing is showing me an image in this moment that reminds them of a memory of the past. So the more we focus on what's in front of us, the less we have to deal with fear. But even when it comes up, I want to share one more quote in response to your question, which is by a boxing coach named Customato. He said, heroes and cowards feel exactly the same fear. They just respond differently. So one of the most controversial things that I teach is that I don't encourage people to feel grateful or feel happy or feel kind or loving or courageous or confident. I only encourage them to behave that way because that's what we bring into life. We have less control over what we happen to be feeling in any given moment. Feelings are passed through us like the weather. Nor do we have control over thoughts that just pop into our awareness. We don't have a spam filter in our heads. So rather than trying to fix our thoughts and fix our feelings, what do I need to do? What do I want to do now? And then stop thinking and jump. How good would it be if we did have a spam filter? (laughs) (laughs) Wouldn't that be helpful? (laughs) That would be amazing. So many people I hear really struggle to be in the moment, to be in the present moment. They spend a lot of time stressing over the future, worrying about the past, like we've spoken about. And I've spoken so much on this show about the power of the present moment. Why is it so challenging for so many people? And what can we do on a daily basis if we find ourselves in the past or in the future to come back to the moment? Well, there are a couple paradoxes and ironies here. What I mean by that is, first of all, any physicist will tell you that there is no such thing as the present moment. Because if I say the word now to try to capture it, from the time I went mm to the time I went ow, a million nanoseconds have passed. How do you grasp a nanosecond? So there's no such thing literally as the present moment. It's like a a river of time. But what teachers like myself say is just focus on what's in front of you. Because we have, well, many of us have habits that aren't really helpful to us, health habits and other habits. But one of the worst habits we get almost from infancy as we start developing a sense of self, we start anticipating and regretting and remembering And our body can only live in the present moment. It always exists right here, right now. But the mind, the awareness, the attention says, oh, what am I going to do about what I did yesterday? I wish I hadn't said that. But we're, we're ruminating on what we call the past on memory or, oh, this meeting I'm going into, I'm not looking forward to it. But it doesn't exist, the meeting. All we have is right now. So the only way to really function fully and be present and be sane, our only moment of power is what's in front of us right now. Many of us worry about our future purpose. What am I going to do in five years, in 10 years, in 20 years? What is my cosmic purpose? 
and I've certainly written some books on that topic. But the most important purpose of all, Melissa, that I've seen is the purpose in front of us right now. We always know our present purpose. I know my purpose right now, speaking with you, sharing with you, and you know your purpose. So we always, if we just focus on that, it liberates us from the tyranny of what thoughts we happen to be having and the feelings we have. And we no longer have to try to develop the confidence, the courage, and the commitment to do what we need to do. We just do it. Mm, I love that. Focus on what is in front of you right now. There's no point in me thinking about my to-do list or what's happening for the rest of my day. That doesn't even matter right now. All that matters is I am sitting here with you, having a conversation with you, and that's all that matters. So I love that. So just focus on what is right in front of you, under your nose, right now. Just try it for a day. Well, and that doesn't mean that doesn't mean we can't plan our day. We might have some errands to run, but notice that the day rarely unfolds as we imagine it's going to. So we have to stay flexible and adaptive, not get too attached to our plan. But there's nothing wrong with the human capacity to remember and think about what we call the past. But once we actually realize that they are not real, then we begin to break that habit because most of us spend most of our time thinking about past and future instead of just relaxing into the present moment. It doesn't take a lot of effort. It's not a special practice. It's just relax into the present. Mm. That's where so much joy is in the present moment. Everything is in the present moment. In fact, there's no such thing as future happiness. Happiness, we're either happy now or we're not. Because future, the future never comes. And in fact, happiness, I, I have a different view of happiness than I used to. To me, happiness was always if I do this and achieve this and that, uh, the right person, the right uh, enough money. You know, it's funny. One of the best things about going to university is we find out it doesn't make us happy. It doesn't come with a diploma. There are people who may for years say, if only I'd gone to university, I'd be happy. If only I had an even better relationship, I'd be happy. If only I had children, I'd be happy. If only I hadn't had children, I'd be happy. <laughs> if only I made more money, I'd be happy. If only I traveled more, I'd be happy. And it goes on and on. Maybe when I'm retired, I'll be happy. But when we recognize happiness is a practice, it's not just a good feeling that comes on us. Sure, we all prefer feeling good to feeling bad, but happiness is a practice. And, and people say, well, what do you mean a practice, Dan? But I ask them, how do you behave? What do you bring into life when you're feeling really happy? We've all had that experience. Are you more present? Yes. Are you more enthusiastic? Yes. Are you kinder when you're feeling happy than when you're feeling unhappy? Mm-hmm. And so behave that way. Bring that into life. Whatever feelings are coming or going or passing through us, uh, just as we can feel shy and walk up to someone and say, will you have some coffee with me? Even if we're feeling shy, we can be feeling afraid and we can pull a young child out of the street 
we can do all kinds of things despite what feelings happen to be passing through us. And this is a real liberation, but this takes a warrior's spirit. And I, I view everyone as a peaceful warrior in training because we're all striving to live with a peaceful heart, a sense of serenity, equanimity in the, in the chaos of the changing daily news. But at the same time, there are moments we need a warrior's spirit. And that's why I call it the peaceful warrior's way. I love it. And for anyone who has never read any of your books, do yourself a favor and go and read all of them. They're incredible. I'll link to them all in the show notes and also check out your documentary too. But can you talk to me about goals? Okay. Goals and dreams. So say we have these things that we aspire to, these big dreams, these big goals. How do we aspire for greatness yet still be in the present moment? Sure. Well, there's a story about a golfer who sliced the ball on this 16th green in the fairway over the fence covered with a hedge. And he couldn't see what happened to the ball, but he heard a noise. And when he was putting out on the 18th green, there were policemen there and firefighters, and they were waiting. And they said, are you the fellow who sliced a ball over the fence, the 17th fairway? And he said, yeah, that was me. They said, well, you know what happened? Your ball broke the window of a car and the car got into an accident. No one was injured, but it blocked the road and stopped the fire engines from putting out a fire. And a house burned down. What are you going to do about it? And the man thought about it for a moment and said, I'm going to have to move my grip a little to the left so he wouldn't slice anymore. What else could he do? You know? So saying, how do we live well focusing on the present moment and overcoming our fears and all this? Functioning in life is very important and goals are important. Now, apparently many people who were Buddhists say the Buddha said one must quench all desire. Desire creates suffering. And the reason he said that is because if we don't get what we want, we suffer in the sense of being dissatisfied. And if we get what we really don't want, we also suffer or are dissatisfied. And even if we get exactly what we want, we can still suffer because we can't hang on to everything all the time. Life is change. Life comes at us in waves of change that we can neither control nor predict, but we can learn to surf those waves. And so, I believe when the Buddha said we must get rid of desire, I think it was mistranslated. I believe the Buddha meant we have to let go of attachment, of clinging, of holding on instead of flowing with life. And so the idea of having a desire, hey, if we have no desires, we might as well lie down and feed the daisies. Because we are hardwired goal seekers. When I watch my granddaughter, crawling across the floor. She's not doing it just to exercise. She wants something. She wants her big brother's toy. And from the time we're infants, we're happiest when we're moving toward a goal. In fact, I would define success as making progress toward a meaningful goal. Those of us 
who are moving towards something that we want are usually the most absorbed in life, the most engaged with life. So, for example, in the Peaceful Warrior movie, there's a scene in which Dan and his old mentor, the gas station guru, Socrates, climb up this big hill. And Dan has a realization. He says, you know, Sock, I just realized it's not the destination that makes us happy. It's the journey. And that may be true. There's a lot of wisdom because most of our lives are spent on the journey. But without a destination in mind, without a goal, there is no journey. We just wander around. From our point A, where we are now, we need a point B. And when we reach it, we need to pick a point C. So I think it's important to have a purpose, a sense of direction and goals. But again, if we say, but how do I know my goals? How do I find what I really want? Those are big questions. But we always know what we want right now. And in fact, I used to do consultations with people back when I lived in California. They'd come to my office there. And one man came into my office once and he put his cash on the table, his payment for the session. And I said, well, let's begin with what you want to get out of the session. What is your purpose? And he said, oh, I have no purpose. And I said, really? I said, well, if you did have a purpose, what might it be? He wouldn't bite. He, I, he just said, nope, I have no purpose at all. I went, hmm. I said, well, if you have no purpose, I really probably can't help you. But uh, hey, it was good meeting you. Thanks for coming today. And he started to rise. But then he turned to me and said, wait a minute, Dan, I just paid you some good money. I have the next 60 minutes of your time. And I said to him, you know what? I think you've just found a purpose. And I said, after our session is over, you'll find another purpose, which is finding your way to your automobile and driving to wherever you're going without hitting any people or objects. And when you arrive at your destination, another goal will appear. So we began to understand our goals appear moment to moment. There's that old saying that we're like cars driving through the night. We can only see as far as our headlight beam. But in that way, we can make a long journey. I love that. I love that so much. I want to talk more about purpose because a lot of people, and I'm sure you hear this a lot, a lot of people say, I don't know what my purpose is. How do I find my purpose in life? Do you believe that everyone has a purpose and how do people find their purpose? Well, it's a major part of my work. I've written one book called The Four Purposes of Life, another book, which is one of my best-selling books called The Life You Were Born to Live. And in it, I present the life purpose system. And the reason the book has sold um, well over a million copies is because it ha- it's extremely accurate. And what it does, in fact, anyone can experience a taste of this. Even now, or right after this interview, they can go to my website, peacefulwarrior.com, And they'll see right there, the life purpose calculator. If they go in there, they have to put in their email address, but then they put in their date of birth and they will see a description of three keys to their life purpose. 
a larger life purpose. And for example, for some people, it's all about creative energy. For other people, it's about expression. For some, it's about mastering process step by step. For some, it's about the drive to influence other people. So each of us has distinct life paths. And the way I would put it is this. If I were to point to a tree outside, chances are there's not a single tree on the planet exactly like that tree in terms of the angle of every branch, stem, and leaf. And yet, even though each of us is unique individuals, just like the the tree, we fall into one of 45 life paths. And discovering our life path, which is what I reveal in that book, and give a hint, a taste of, in the Life Purpose Calculator, it's free. They can just go visit that. They'll get a hint of what they're here to do, and it's a deeper purpose. And when people are following that, they feel on track. And so that is one way to directly address this question about what is my purpose here. It's really about one's life path and the the particular qualities and challenges each of us has in our own lives. In fact, if you want to tell me, uh, if you don't mind telling me your date of birth, I can say a few things about your life path. Oh, I would love to. And I'd love to hear how this is calculated. So my date of birth is April 13, 1986. Okay. So how is this calculated? I'm so fascinated. Okay. Well, I can tell you this, and I'll, I'll tell you about how it's calculated. By the way, this works with date of birth. It's not like astrology, though it resonates with astrology because it doesn't go into the transits and all the complications and insights of astrology. However, it's immediately accessible information. And so one's date of birth is the key. Now, some people may ask reasonably, how can adding up the numbers of your date of birth give valid, accurate, reliable information about the core issues of your life? And the only way I can answer that is, I really don't know. It's one of life's mysteries right now. We don't have a scientific explanation. Now, I'm a big fan of the scientific method. I mean, it pulled us out of the dark ages of superstition. We can get a theory and then test it against placebo or a control group and find out what's real and what works and doesn't for most people. Um, so I'm a big fan of science. However, if we only rely on, like, say, the left hemisphere of the brain and ignore intuition and ignore certain subtle elements in our life, then it's like you can't make the square root of a sonnet. So there are elements of life that we haven't gotten theories for yet. And the life purpose system that I've used for 35 years, and again, millions of people have, I can't explain it, but I do know, and people can test it in their own life. Now, for you, for example, a few things I could say is you have a drive for exploring, for freedom, for exploring many aspects of life, varied interests, so many, in fact, that I would advise someone working your life path, um, if you're going to dig for a well, it's better digging one hole 50 meters deep than five holes each 10 meters deep. Uh, In other words, the more focus you can bring, uh, the better it is for you. 
But there's nothing wrong with having varied interests. You can be vivacious, see things from different angles. You can have dependence and independence issues, feeling dependence, striving for independence, and so on. Also, you have the three, which is self-expressive energy. And you help others like me to express themselves, which is so right on track. And also a desire to help, to cooperate and support other people. So it's a, a beautiful thing you're doing through being a host of this program. It's in line with your purpose. You get to learn a lot and explore a lot. So f- by freedom, I don't mean indulgence. I mean uh, to go for the gusto and explore uh, and experience a lot in life. Oh, that definitely resonates. Definitely resonates. Yes. Oh, wow. I love this. So we'll link to that in the show notes so people can go and explore that. What would you say to someone who has said, I don't have a life's purpose. That's just not for me. Yeah. Well, again, there's two meanings of life purpose. One is ultimate or cosmic purpose, which I do address in the life you were born to live, that book, or the life purpose calculator. But the other purpose that I've emphasized, which is our, the most important one, is our purpose right now the one that's in front of us. And I don't think anybody would say, I have no purpose in this moment. And maybe their purpose was stating, I have no purpose, because it didn't just come out of their mouth. They intended to say it. So those are two kinds of purpose. Now, if you're talking about career or the right livelihood, in in my little book, The Four Purposes of Life, I go into four different purposes. The first one is gaining experience and learning life's lessons. I happen to view Earth as a divine school for souls, and daily life is our classroom. And as it happens, we are here to pass or gain mastery of 12 different courses in in daily life. Um, Because people say, well, fine, Dan. If, if life is a school, what courses do we need to pass to graduate? And these 12 areas I outline in another one of my books. I, I also list it in this little book, The Four Purposes of Life. And I have to refer to that. Um, and the second purpose is finding our career and calling. And this involves self-knowledge. Every psychological Educational and spiritual tradition emphasizes the importance of knowing ourselves. The words know thyself were written in the Greek temple of the oracles of Delphi. Know thyself. Because if we don't really know ourselves, and many of us don't, then we make the right decision for the wrong person, the one we thought we were. How many people have made a decision in a relationship or a job, and then they realize they've grown out of it, they've changed, but really they've discovered, who am I? What are my talents? What are my values? And what are my interests? Rather than going through life doing what we think we should do or other people expect us to do, we begin to say, but what do I really want to do? And that process can take at least 10 years after we graduate from university. It takes time to know ourselves. And some of the work I do 
is to provide a leap to know ourselves so we start making wiser decisions for us. And by the way, I'll add one more thing. I know I'm going on at some length, but just one more thing. Central to this approach to living, I call the peaceful warrior's way, is that there is no best book, no best teacher, no best religion or philosophy or diet or path or exercise system. There's only the best for each of us at a given time of our life. Life is an experiment. We have to find out what works for us. Mm, Absolutely. And everyone's so different and unique, like you were explaining before about the trees. What can we do today to understand and know ourselves just a little bit better today? Well, again, it sounds self-serving, but that is not my intention. Either get the book, The Life You Were Born to Live, read the four purposes of life, those two books, or just go to my website, look at the calculator, and then get the free version of the Life Purpose app. It's online. It's lifepurposeapp.com. And that gives all the information in the book at your fingertips. And it using the calculator, you don't have to do the math. Because it's easy to make mistakes adding up certain numbers in a certain way in your date of birth. But if you go to the calculator at my website, it's right there. Your birth number, your life path. And then to get details about that life path, and believe me, it made a huge difference in my life. I was trained by a rather unusual mentor years ago called the Warrior Priest. And that's where I learned the basics of the system. But a lot of information came in over the years since then, before I wrote the book. Can your life purpose change? Because I'm just thinking about people listening who are mothers and maybe for a period of time, their life purpose is to be the best mama that they can be. And then their children grow up and they have this newfound interest and fascination with astrology or pottery, and then that becomes their purpose and sharing that with the world. So do you feel like our purpose can evolve and shift and we can have multiple purposes? Well, I I wouldn't necessarily use the word purpose in this way. Let me explain and clarify that. It can be an interest. It can be a duty. It can be a calling or a mission. So for a young mother, it would be, it's wonderful to, there's no higher calling than raising children and no more challenging calling. A brief tangent. You know, this man came up to me once after reading Way of the Peaceful Warrior and he said, Dan, now I'm really interested in spiritual practice, but I've got a wife and three children and a full time job. How can I find the time? And he came to understand that his wife, his children and his job were his primary spiritual practices. And they demand more of us and develop us more than sitting in a cave and meditating. I know this is true because I've done both. And so, yes, we our purpose can evolve, it can shift, it can mature. But our fundamental life purpose, as defined by the birth number and our life path, that simply evolves matures and refines and clarifies, but it doesn't change. However, in the process of our life, our interests 
and our calling and what we're moved to do, sure, those things can all change and they will change. But the fundamentals uh, are still there. Absolutely. I have a 14-month-old baby girl. And oh, good for you. <laughs> thank you. It's absolutely magical. And I have a 16-year-old bonus son as well. So wow. wow. It's beautiful. I've, I've got the teenager and then I've got the brand new baby and it's just so beautiful. But I always say that having a baby or having children is like the best spiritual practice, the best personal development <laughs> I've ever done. <laughs> Absolutely. In fact, somebody once said, I once had three theories about children. Now I have three children and no theories. <laughs> <laughs> but it is really beautiful, you know, to practice these spiritual or what you call those peaceful warrior principles to practice those in our everyday life with our children, with our partner, with our colleagues. There's no point, like you said, going to a cave and meditating on your own. That's that's almost like easier because you're not triggered. In many ways, yes, it is. <laughs> yeah, so I love that. I love that you said that. That's That's really beautiful. Tell me, what does it mean to live a meaningful life? Like, how would you define a meaningful life? And how do we create that in our everyday life? Well, I can't really define a meaningful life in a general sense, because each of us has different meanings. It's a meaningful life to us. So what's meaningful for me may be different from someone else's meaning. So we each have to find our own and create our own meanings. It's a sense of uh, worthiness. What makes my life count for something? You know, I once believed that happiness was the ultimate goal because I thought whatever things represented happiness to us, a new car, a relationship, traveling somewhere, they all represent happiness because so everything at the end of every rainbow was happiness. But I believe today that more than just a good feeling, most of us deep down are looking for a sense of worth that our lives count for something, a sense of purpose and connection with ourselves, with other people, even with the transcendent, a depth of connection. What is life really about? Um, and, and so while we get lost in, as we should, in the duties of everyday life, uh, we need to pay attention to the conventional world and what it calls us to do. But at the same time, we need to keep one eye on the transcendent, on life's bigger picture, because it's easy to lose sight of that and just get lost in the details and get tunnel vision. So that's why I recommend that we have our head in the clouds, but our feet on the ground, both. And that's a stretch for many of us. You know, there's a great Serbian proverb. Two men looked out of prison bars. One saw mud and the other saw stars. And both mud and stars exist in our lives. We can't ignore or deny the mud or we end up stepping in it. But we also have to remember the stars, our potential. Absolutely. What is bringing you the most joy in your life right now? Well, that, that's easy to talk about because my wife's name happens to be Joy. <laughs> and she brings me joy every day. We're in our 46th year now of marriage. And one of the secrets people always ask me for a long marriage is, yeah, communication is important, sex is important, compatibility and all that. 
But the main thing is being each other's friend, having each other's back, being in our, in their corner, not competing or wondering who's contributing most to the relationship or doing the most work and all that, but just being there for them, having their interests and values and desires equally important or maybe even more important sometime as ours. So, you know, it took me about 25 years of marriage to realize that Joy wasn't criticizing me. She was improving me. And that's maybe that's her calling in part. Sometimes she improves me rather enthusiastically. Oh, I love that. I love that. Oh, it's, I mean, relationships are a great opportunity to grow and to practice all of our spiritual, peaceful warrior principles. You know, it's such a beautiful opportunity to practice that. And it's, it's never ending. People ask my husband and I secrets to our marriage. And something that's really helped us is that we're both deeply committed individually to our own growth. We're both doing the work. We're both showing up. Our relationship is not rainbows and butterflies and perfect. And I think the quicker that you let go of striving for that, the better, because it doesn't exist. You know, the best thing that we can do is do the work on ourselves and show up. And I love what you said about being each other's teammates, being each other's friend and having each other's back. And we were having this conversation because I rather enthusiastically spoke to Nick the other day. And uh, he just said, why often are our lovers, our beloved, our favorite person in the entire world, the love of our life, our soulmate, why do they become our punching bag sometimes. Like, why does that happen to them? You know? And I was thinking about, I'm like, you seriously are the love of my life. Like, I love you. Like, why am I, why did I rather enthusiastically speak to you like that? Can you talk a little bit about that and why we do that to the people we love so much? Well, it seems like, first of all, we see each other at our best and our worst. So, it's natural to have some friction. If a relationship has no friction at all, there's no development, no growth, no adjustment, uh, no, no evolution. And if it's too comfortable, and if it's, of course, too fiery, too much friction, people can burn each other up. But most relationships, Joy and I bump heads regularly. We're vulnerable to each other. We don't really care that much what other people may say, but we care about what our spouse thinks of us and says. So I think that's that's a lot of it. We also feel safer. We feel a bit safer opening up and, and not always being our best, not being our best behavior in a sense all the time with our spouse. And so it's all part of the game. You know, I view daily life as a form of spiritual weight training. If we don't lift any weights, we don't get any stronger. And the things of daily life, our relationship, our primary one, our relationship with other people, with parents, for example. You know, Ram Das used to say, oh, so you think you're enlightened? Go visit your parents. <laughs> you know? So our spouse, they know us deeply. And in fact, Joy read every one of my nine drafts of my latest book, which is called Peaceful Heart, Warrior Spirit. It's the true story of my own spiritual quest. I hope to illuminate the paths of other people on their own journeys through this book. But 
when Joy, Joy read every draft of the book as I cut it from 500 pages down to 220 pages. And she helped the refinement. And at around the seventh draft, because she went through all the trainings that I did when I was uh, younger in my 30s, 40s, and so on. And she said, Dan, I, I have a different perspective on this than you do. Maybe I could write a little bit of something. I said, great idea. So she also wrote about 10 pages sprinkled through the book about her own perspectives that sometimes differed slightly from mine. So, you know, the saying, if we agree on everything, only one of us is necessary. So Joy and I do have different views on things. And it, it really, it reminds me of one other quote, which is nobody's smarter than all of us. And so I think I do, we make a whole greater than the sum of the parts. Mm, mm. And definitely core values and there has to be alignment in the relationship. Absolutely. But yeah. little differences adds flavor, a little they bit do. of embellishment. Absolutely. Yeah, I'd agree. I think many of your listeners would agree too. Yes, I love that. What are you working on right now within yourself? Is there anything that you are working on or conscious of right now? Hmm. Interesting you ask that. At this point in time, well, I, I often advise entrepreneurs, you know, to be conventionally financially successful at what you do. You have to be good at two things. You have to be good at what you do. And if you're not, keep practicing. But you also have to be good at promoting or marketing what you do. But most of the time, we don't really like to do that very much. I know I don't. But how can you help anybody with your product or your service if they don't know you exist? So what I'm working on now is getting better at letting the world know about my work through wonderful people like you, but also... I'm, I'm actually working for the first time in 40 years with a social branding media type of company. And they're going to help me. They're experts at what they do. And they're going to help me to get my work out into the world, more on YouTube and Instagram and all that, because I'm not that good at those things myself. Awesome. I love that because your work needs to reach every corner of the earth. Absolutely. Absolutely. And a question that I ask all of my guests is if you had a magic wand and you could put one book in the school curriculum of every high school around the world, what book would you choose? Now, let's pretend that all of yours are already in the curriculum, which I 100% think they should be. Imagine if your books were in the curriculum. Amazing. But is there another book that you would choose that has been really impactful and supported you on your journey? Wow, that is so tough. It's like asking someone, what is your favorite movie of all time? It's like, well, what genre? You know, romantic comedy or, or adventure? So the one thing is always a tough thing to answer. One book that isn't, that isn't one of mine, you know, I might answer differently in five minutes from now or a year from now or a week from now. But right now, a book that comes to mind that, that I found quite influential is a, a little book, a simple book called Constructive Living, because it, it brought me back to earth in touch with what's real, what we can control and what we can't control. 
And some of the comments I've made tonight reflect some of the things in, in that book. And books can be our teachers. But I could have said, Lord of the Rings trilogy inspired me, but it's not for everybody. And in fact, there are books that I love that someone else wouldn't care for at all. You know, when we go into a bookstore, remember bookstores? <laughs> um, we pass by some books because we've been there and done that. But other times we pass by a book because we're not ready yet. But when we find a book that's right for us right now, that's magical. And so I, I hesitate, but that book came to mind. You asked me to mention a book. So I think that might be helpful to many people. Yeah, beautiful. And we'll link to that in the show notes as well as all of your amazing books. Before you spoke about social media, now on social media, we are exposed to so much, so much data, so much information, so much input. Something that I see a lot of and one of my latest books is called Comparisonitis. How to stop comparing yourself to others and be genuinely happy. Oh, that's great. I saw that. Talk to me about comparison. I, I would be so happy to do so. Go for it. Because it's just something that is so common, especially in the younger generation. You know, kids are getting mobile phones and getting Facebook and Instagram, like 10, 11, 12, you know, really, really young now. And so they are exposed to comparison at such a young age. And I just want to get your perspective on it. What are your thoughts on it? And how can we move through it and stay in our own lane? Oh, that's so important. I think that's a wonderful book and wonderful title that you've written. And in fact, it's one of my missions. Uh, most interviews, I bring up that idea. People sometimes say, if there's a bit of advice you could offer, Dan, and what I do is, first, stop comparing yourself to other people. Because as soon as we compare ourselves to someone else, we're going to feel either inferior or superior. But it's a profound disrespect for our own process. Um, for example, when I was a coach and teacher at Stanford University in the, in the U.S., I noticed that some people learn somersaults faster than other people. But I also discovered that those who often took longer to learn it, learned it better than those who learned it faster. So each of us has to trust and respect our own way of learning, our own way of living. I agree with you that many young people today are depressed, occasionally even suicidal. Because what they're looking at on social media, and which they do obsessively, um, is everyone else showing their best side, living their best life. They take the trouble to uh, say, look, I'm, I'm traveling here. I'm having fun with these friends. Here's a pool party. And these are my new clothes. And they're showing their best self. And then kids feel less than by looking at themselves. And they go, oh, I'm not having as much fun as they are. And I'm not living life the way I should be, and so on and so forth. It's just an abject suffering. And in fact, one thing I recommend is just as we can sometimes temporarily fast from food, go uh, a, a day, uh, two days or more, sometimes do a, a juice fast, that sort of thing. We can also fast from media and from the news occasionally. And just, I know it's really hard, you know. Have you ever noticed if you go out just to shop or something and don't bring your phone, you feel kind of strange? We all do. But I do that on purpose. I leave my phone home sometimes. And the same way, leave the social media. Just check out for a while. 
and see how that feels and look around at the birds. Walk, do, do what the Japanese call forest bathing. Go into a park and be alone with yourself and remember who you are again, not just in relationship to all your friends and everybody else. So I, you know, someone once said, I cannot write a book commensurate to Shakespeare, but I can write a book by me. And you've done that. And it's a great title again, and a wonderful book, an important cause. And one thing I'll add, we also don't want to compare ourselves to our younger selves. How many older people do I hear say, I used to be able to do this? And people who are in their 40s saying, I remember how how I had these moments of elevation when I was younger that I don't experience anymore. We need to trust our own process moment to moment, our own evolution, life changes, and really embrace who we are right now. Absolutely. Absolutely. And in comparisonitis, I talk about doing social media detoxes and things like that. So there's a whole chapter on social media because it is really prevalent right now and we need to look at it. And as parents, we need to support our children that are growing up in this era as well. So I love that. Thank you for sharing. I love hearing about how people move through their days. I know that you are very into health. I know that you're into meditation and movement and all sorts of things. Can you talk us through a quote-unquote typical day in your life, what time you wake up, when you meditate, what you eat, kind of paint the picture of a day in the life of Dan for us. And with a caveat that people don't have to compare their life or live their day the same way I do. Exactly. This is, this is what I do, yeah. I get up and even before I get out of bed, I've discovered certain exercises that I do while still in bed. And I found a way to do it without disturbing my wife. And so I do these bed exercises, a lot of toning for different parts of the body, core and so on, before I even get out of bed. The first thing I do every day, and my wife does also her own routine, not identical to mine, but we exercise. And I do various kinds of calisthenics, push-ups and core exercises of different kinds. But I also created a workout that I created probably about 35 years ago. I call it the Peaceful Warrior Workout. And it's designed to be completed in less than four minutes a day. Wow. It's based on the principle, a little of something is better than a lot of nothing. It's not all that I do, but if I'm on the road and I'm traveling, jet lag, I'll do the workout, the the four-minute workout wherever I am, every single day. How many people can say that? Can you tell us what the workout is? It's about 16 different movements uh, of attention release, free movement. It's not equivalent to like an hour and a half of yoga for stretching or running for an hour. Um, It's not equivalent to going to the gym and pumping iron, but it has elements of strength, suppleness, stamina, coordination, rhythm, timing, and it, it coordinates the movements with the breath, which is very important. That's really key. So there are various online courses through at my website. And people can just check out the Peaceful Warrior Workout, and they can actually take that little course. 
and they can learn the workout over a period of a couple of weeks. And it's easy. It's fun to do. That's the main thing. So people continue. How many people can't find three and a half minutes a day to work out? And it's, again, it's a beginning of a healthy lifestyle. But so I, that's what I do. And I either bicycle around a local park or I'll walk around the park. Joy runs. She's 70. She still runs. Um, I'm 76 and I still swing to handstands and do all that sort of thing. Um, so I'll walk, I'll, I'll, uh, jog, I'll, uh, bicycle in addition to the various calisthenics and strength building. And see, older people need more exercise than younger people, but they need a different kind of exercise, not pounding, uh, or, or too jarring, but, Doing things like Tai Chi, uh, various martial arts, some yoga. There are various different s- systems. There's a form of exercise that works for everyone. But that's what I do first thing. After exercise, shower, then I will, you know, have breakfast and go about my day, do emails, do various projects, whether it's writing or other things. But like most people, they go to work and they do their work. I do the same thing. But I also, at my age, I have a luxury of power naps. I take a nap just about every day. Uh, my wife never naps, almost never. But uh, my my physiology is needs a nap, so I do that, and it's very refreshing. And then I go about the rest of my day. Again, interviews that goes through my my day. We you know we have lunch, and then we oh of course we take care of our grandchildren. One's three years old, six and a half, and nine years old. So. They come over after school sometimes. Uh, we moved from California to Brooklyn, New York to be close to our grandkids. So we see them. They're a regular part of our lives. So we, we definitely, that's a big part of our life. And we relax in the evening, maybe watch a favorite TV show, whatever. I read. I enjoy reading or listening to audiobooks while going through the park. I recommend audio because it stimulates the imagination the same way reading does. So that's pretty much a picture of our day. Now, notice I didn't mention sitting down to meditate because I learned transcendental meditation when I was a very young man in my 20s. I learned Zazen, Zen meditation, many different kinds of meditation. Um, And in fact, when I was coaching an elite team at Stanford, one of the other coaches whispered to me before a competition, he said, Dan, I heard rumors. This is back in the late 60s when meditation was an outlier thing. And he said, Dan, I heard you have your team meditate before competitions. And I said, oh, no, I'd never do that. I have them meditate during competitions. Because moving meditation, daily life is my meditation. It's mindfulness or paying attention to what's going on in the present moment. So my my everyday life has become a meditation. Now, there's nothing wrong with And in fact, it's very helpful for many people to have a period where we just sit very quietly and see what comes up, let it go, continue our regular breathing, good posture. And whether it's 10 minutes, five minutes, um, by the way, I also created a four minute meditation, which I do every day before I get out of bed. But that meditation is quite different. It's a meditation on the process of dying. What all that we have to let go of when we go through the process of death, it makes it familiar to us. We no longer fear death. 
But the main purpose of this meditation is that there's no better way to appreciate the gift of life and all we've been given. It's easy to take life for granted. We mumble our, to ourselves about our difficulties and how life's difficult, but we forget the great gift we've been given. And so that's why I do this meditation on the process of dying to appreciate living. I love that. The Buddhists contemplate death, don't they? Yes. So for someone who might want to consider that practice, what's involved? Is it a matter of just laying there and is it picturing yourself dying? Is it feeling like you're dying? What's the process? It's actually a quite structured process. It has to do with taking some breaths, inhaling light, exhaling darkness, inhaling light, exhaling darkness. And that prepares you to begin, which first it's a surrendering or relinquishing all the things we're given uh, that we call life. Surrendering time, no more past or future, right in the present. Surrendering objects, everything we possess or has or possesses us. Surrendering all our relations, our loved ones, children, husband, spouse, wife, friends, adversaries, all relations surrendering. Surrendering action, the ability to move, to influence other people, to do things, to get things done. Surrendering emotion. And then I go through all the senses until there's nothing left and no sense of having a body and then surrendering the self. And going through that process, which all the things we have to give up at death, then letting them all rush back in a few more breaths. And that is less than four minutes to do that each day. It's a good, to me, it's a very good contemplation. And if for those who do meditate, doing this little four-minute exercise before meditation allows us to go much deeper because we've let go of all attachment. Mm, I love that. It's beautiful. I'm going to incorporate that. And that's at my website too. Mm, that's beautiful. We'll link to that in the show notes. I personally practice transcendental meditation and I've been doing that for a while, the 20 minutes in the morning and 20 minutes in the afternoon. However, and I, I've done this practice for 10 years. However, since having my daughter 14 months ago, I dropped that second meditation. Not every day, but I'm not doing that. And I have chosen to move through my day with that meditation. So that's my intention right now is to make every moment a moving meditation when I'm doing the dishes, when I'm changing her diaper, when I am playing with her, when I am at the beach or at the park. I really try, well, I really want to be in that moving meditation like you were talking about before. So yeah, thank you for that. And I'm going to check out your little four-minute meditation as well. Okay, I've got some rapid-fire questions for you now. Are you ready? I'm ready. I was born ready. <laughs> What's one thing that we can do today for our health? Just one thing that will move the needle for our health. I have six words, which are a lifetime practice. Here and now, breathe and relax. Mm. It's beautiful. I love that. I feel like writing that down and sticking it on my bathroom mirror to remind me. <laughs> 
That's beautiful. Okay, what's one thing that we can do for more wealth in our life? So more abundance in all areas of our life. Well, of course, if we're talking focusing on money, find a useful service and product and learn to let people know about it. But if we're talking about a larger abundance, which I think we are, then it's a matter of not necessarily seeking more, but learning to enjoy less, the simple things of life. There are people who are very rich who don't have a lot of money. Mm, Absolutely. And the last one, what is one thing that we can do for more love in our life? There's an old saying, if you want radishes, you have to plant radishes. If you want carrots, you got to plant carrots. The way it works at a very deep psychophysical level is that what we most believe we need is actually what we most need to give. So if we want love, we need to give love. And how do we give love? It's not about feeling love all the time because feelings change all the time. It's about behaving with loving kindness as much as we can. Not to get something back, not conditional, but just to be a more loving and kinder person. Maybe giving someone a smile on the street and can lift their day. Maybe saying a kind word, that service orientation. The happiest people I know focus on kindness and service. They're beautiful things to focus on. And I want to encourage everyone listening to focus on those two things today and every day if they can. Dan, this has been so beautiful. Is there anything else that you want to share? Any last parting words of wisdom or anything else that you wanted to talk about or share? Well, I think I've said it in different words, but it's so important for each of us to trust our own process, our own evolving state, to be a little more gentle with ourselves. Because we're good at making demands and judging ourselves that we should be doing better. We like to play God. What should happen, how I should be, you should be, the world should be. But we don't know. We need to trust the process of life unfolding and trust ourselves within that process. Absolutely. I think, yeah, we we can get so hard on ourselves. I know for me, especially being a first-time mom, at the start, I was so hard on myself, so hard on myself. And I just had to make a commitment to let that go and just to trust that I'm always doing the best that I can. And that's always my intention is to do the best that I can and to show up as the best version of myself for myself and for her. And we really do just need to be softer and kinder and more compassionate and loving to ourselves because then that will ripple out to everyone in our life. Oh, that's beautiful. This has been so amazing. I have loved chatting with you, connecting with you, I love the work that you do in the world and I truly wish that we had another 17 hours so we could chat. I want to have you and Joy over for dinner one day. If you ever come to Australia, you must you must let me know. But I want to thank you for all of the work that you do in the world. You're helping and you're supporting and you're serving so many people. What can I and the listeners do to give back and serve you? How can we serve you today? I think... Uh There's a very brief story. Aldous Huxley, the author who wrote Brave New World, had explored the entire global tradition of spiritual wisdom. And when he was 
in hospice care near death, his friend Houston Smith, who had written literally the book on world religion, said to Aldous, he said, my friend, he said, you've, you've explored the world and studied all these spiritual traditions. Is there anything, any way to summarize all that you've learned? And Aldous turned to him and said, you know, I'm a little embarrassed to say I can probably summarize it all in about six words. Try to be a little kinder. And I think that's really a, a, a good closing words. Yeah, absolutely. Kinder to yourself and to others. That's beautiful. Exactly. Exactly. Dan, you are beautiful. Thank you so much you for being here, for all the work that you do. I'm so grateful. Thank you so much for being here. It's my pleasure. My pleasure. I don't know about you, but I feel so inspired after that conversation. So ready to live even more in my heart space, come back to my heart and to always live from that place. You can't go wrong. When you live from your heart, you cannot go wrong. When you let that be your internal GPS system, you cannot go wrong. So I really hope you got a lot out of this episode and you feel inspired like I do. And if you do, please subscribe to the show and leave me a review on Apple Podcasts because that means that we can inspire and educate even more people together. And it also means that all of my episodes will just pop up in your feed so that you don't have to go searching for a new episode. And please come and tell me on Instagram at Melissa Ambrosini what you got from this episode. I love connecting with you and I love hearing from you. So please come and connect with me. And before I go, I wanted to say thank you so much for being here, for wanting to be the best, the healthiest and the happiest version of yourself and for showing up today for you. You rock. Now, if there's someone in your life that you can think of that would really benefit from this episode, please share it with them right now. You can take a screenshot, share it on your social media, email it to them, text it to them, do whatever you've got to do to get this in their ears. And until next time, don't forget that love is sexy, healthy is liberating, and wealthy isn't a dirty word. <laughs>